Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is no breath at all, which is a phrase from Habakkuk that we'll be looking at in a little bit. And I want to take this opportunity to talk again about um, literalism and trying to make certain connections. As you may know, uh, the word spirit, ruach in the Hebrew, is the same as the word breath. And there are a number of passages, not all of which we'll be looking at tonight, that almost use it as kind of pun. You know, you know that one in the New Testament about the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. But so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. That it's the same word spirit in both of those passages, pneuma in the Greek. And it has to do with life as well, spirit and life and breath. And so there's kind of a theme in Scripture about idols, that idols are no good because they have no breath at all, it says. They have no breath. And it was striking me that this idea of no breath is no spirit. They have no spirit. They have no life. They have no inside to them. And this represents certain sort of points of view that don't come from a spiritual perspective. They're actually just sort of an external perspective. So if that sets it up a little bit, that's sort of where we're going to be going. I invite you to join us, and let's open with a prayer. Shall we, friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord God, for bringing us together in your name. We open the pages of your word, and we wish to understand you. We wish to understand this evening, Lord, the meaning of breath, and what it is, how is it, Lord, that your word breathes? What is the nature of the life that is inside it? Thank you. Amen. Amen. Very good to see everyone. Sending love to those who are out there online and those who are getting the audio and so on. And uh, spirit and life and breath. Uh, let's start by reading this passage that I was referring to in Habakkuk. Habakkuk is lots of fun to find. Uh, if you go to Matthew in the New Testament and then go left, as you may know, those last four of the minor prophets are Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. It's Z, another letter, Z, another letter. I always think of those as a sort of a foursome at the end there of the minor prophets. And right before Zephaniah is Habakkuk, and that's what we want. Uh, so Habakkuk, just three chapters long, and I want to look at the end of Chapter 2, idolatry is an interesting thing. Scripture has so much to say about it. It's a major, major theme. The idea of idolatry, the idea of people bowing down to objects that they made, objects of wood and stone and so on. And, uh, and so it's interesting to ponder, is that all there is to it? And as long as we're not physically bowing down before Dagon or some giant physical image, are we okay? Are we not practicing idolatry? Or are there other deeper forms of idolatry? Let's look in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 18, and read to the end of the chapter there. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies. Say that again, what? A teacher of lies. Interesting. It's referring to a statue <clears throat> as a teacher a teacher of lies. That's a strong accusation against an inanimate object. I mean, we all get upset with our, you know, cars and, and our glasses and things like this, but, but uh, 
to call a statue a teacher of lies is, is interesting, as if it's actively putting out false teaching, bad teaching. So go on. A teacher of lies that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. This is a refrain that comes up quite a lot in Scripture, is that someone makes this thing and then bows down and worships it. And Scripture just seems amazed that, really? You made that. You know, you took, you took wood and stone and you made four different objects and then one of them you're going to worship, the other one you eat with, the other, you know, uh, just sort of expressing amazement. Like, why would you put your trust in that? And then this is the verse that I was focused on. Woe to him who says to wood, awake. Awake. Huh, that's weird. So, woe to someone who says to wood, awake. Okay. To silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Now there again, for the second time in two verses, you have the idea that these statues are teaching. Arise, it will teach. Go on. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. In it, yes. In the, in the old King James, it says there's no breath at all in the midst of it, which is just kind of... It means the same thing as in, but it's interesting that it's about the midst of it that it's talking about. And interesting, too, that it comes out more in the New King James that we just heard than the Old King James, that there's a, there's a contrast between the fact, yes, it is overlaid with gold and silver, so it looks spectacular, but there's no breath in the midst of it. There's no breath in it. There's no breath at all, it says. And then the very next verse I love the, the, the uh, Scripture is sort of fun when you're reading in the prophets and the Old Testament in particular because you just go sailing along through this totally unfamiliar territory and then the very next verse <laughs> is something that you've known since childhood. What's the next verse there? But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Mm. So that's a familiar Scripture to a number of people, I'm sure. But it comes right after this business of... So the contrast is between the Lord being in His holy temple and there really being nothing inside this idol. There's no, there's no breath at all. It, like, it probably would have sufficed to just say there's no breath, but it says there's no breath at all inside it. It may look gold and silver on the outside, but there's no breath at all in the midst of it. And what I was thinking when I looked at this, because part of my premise, part of the premise of this Bible study is that all these things have a deeper layers of meaning and part of what they're about is the, the word is partly about itself, like a lot of the stories are about itself. And so in a way, uh, the way Swedenborg reads this passage is that this has to do with theories about what Scripture means. And there are some theories that are like statues that are created by uh, human intelligence, but they have nothing spiritual or nothing of heaven or nothing, nothing of the Lord in them. And so people will say to these teachings, awake and arise, teach us. And that's the sense in which it's a teacher of lies. A, a, a statue in and of itself, it's sort of exaggerated to refer to a statue as a teacher of lies. But if it's a man-made creation, you can see, oh, that, that's a big deal that it's teaching lies. Um, 
And the gold and silver, gold means that it looks like it has love. Silver means it looks like it has truth in it. But in fact, there's no breath at all in the midst of it. There's nothing spiritual. It didn't come from heaven. It didn't come from the Lord. It's just a human-made construct. You know, that thing about teaching as... as um, uh, I forget what the phrase is, but the, the doctrines of men, you know, kind of thing, like, like uh, as, if it's, um, uh, as if it's something that comes from the Lord, but it's just a tradition of, of humankind. And that's contrasted with the fact that the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth <clears throat> keep silence before Him. Mm. So there's something very different when the Lord is within this. So there's a... The, the parallel is between the statue and the temple, isn't it? That you have a statue that has nothing inside it, but it has it looks good on the outside, but has, it doesn't have the Lord in it. And then you have this holy temple that has the Lord inside it. So I wanted to go from here after those preliminary remarks and just look at some passages about breathing and to think a little bit about this connection. <clears throat> and I hasten to say that that phrase there, <clears throat> excuse me, about no breath at all, that word breath is ruach, it means spirit. It's the same word that's very often translated spirit. So you could very literally, some translations might, say there's no spirit at all inside it. There's no spirit inside a statue. So it'll be exactly the same later as it is now. It's not moving, it's not living. <clears throat> Let's go all the way back to Genesis and then left of your Bibles and look at the creation story because there's some wonderful moments that have to do with breathing here. Mm -hmm. Chapter 2, verse 7, right in the creation story there, in the second creation story. Mm -hmm. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and mm. breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, isn't that, in, in the old King James, a living soul... Isn't that, doesn't that show that breath uh, has something to do with life? Now, we all know, we know about oxygen and all that, that great stuff, so we know that there's a reason why breathing keeps us alive. Actually, not only in biblical times, but even in Swedenborg's time, I think it was six years after Swedenborg died that oxygen was discovered. Even in Swedenborg's time, they had no idea why breathing meant you were alive and why not breathing meant you were dead. I, I don't know. Maybe the motion. Maybe the, I, who knows? I don't know. It has something to do with being alive. But they didn't. They didn't know about oxygen, so they had no idea. And it's hard to even remember that when you read what Swedenborg says about breathing, because he's so right on the money about it, and yet not having that physical information of what it was. And so, humankind is formed out of the dust of the ground, and then is breathed in this breath of life, and we become alive. That, that's that's what made us alive. So the statue has no light. It's just the dust. It doesn't have that life in it. When things start to go bad already by chapter 6, um, <laughs> look at verse 17. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Mm. everything that is on the earth shall die. Yes, yeah, so you take the breath of life away, you'll die. And look at chapter 7, verse 15. 
And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh in which is the breath of life. Yes, so there were certain beings that were saved that were taken into the ark and prepared that way. And then let's read verses 21 and 22. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life all that was on the dry land died. Interesting addition of the spirit of life, the breath of the spirit of life. Uh, so I'm just trying to establish now that breath has something to do with life and it has something to do with spirit. They, these words are connected repeatedly in scripture. Uh, let's go to, so turn to the right and we'll plow through many, many books. Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. I want to go to... Um, First Kings, First Kings chapter, which comes after Samuel and all that. First Kings 17, verse 17. <clears throat> this is about this, this miracle, and this, this boy becomes sickly. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Mm. No breath left in him. The very serious sickness. And then Elijah's able to um, heal him. He stretched out on the child and so on and uh, brought him back to life. So no breath equals no life or almost dead kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And that son is a picture of a point at which that the teaching is so bad, you know, there's no spirituality, there's not, no, no spirit left, no breath left in the teaching. Uh, let's turn to the right and go to Job. You'll go through the Chronicles and various other things and up comes Job pretty soon. I want to go to Job chapter 12. Swedenborg always says Job is an ancient book that was written in correspondences and and uh, so often you get little clues about the meaning of words in here. Look at chapter 12, uh, verses 7 to 10. But now ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. This is all about teaching, right? Teaching, teaching, they'll tell you. The beasts will teach you. The birds will tell you. Uh-huh. And the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, mm. in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? What a grand expression, isn't it? In whose hand is the life of every living thing, or in the old King James, the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind in, in the Lord's hand. Swedenborg says that... Uh, there's a respiration, there's a breathing in heaven and a heartbeat in heaven and that the angels all breathe and that when he came into his spiritual state, he was breathing, he was able to breathe with the angels. When you breathe in different ways, you have different kinds of thoughts. It's kind of amazing to think of the Lord having the breath of all humankind in his hand. Uh, and that's also about the fact that we have a spirit. You know, that's literally true, but it's also that he holds all of our spirits that give us life. Uh, Job 27, just rifling through, looking at different passages. Let's look at the first six verses of Job 27. 
Moreover, Job continued his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my justice, and the Almighty, who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God in my nostrils. Yes, in the Old King James it says, the Spirit of God in my nostrils. I'm just demonstrating spirit and breath are the same, the same word. You know, that's the same thing. As long as my breath is in me and the breath of God or the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. My on. lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say, you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Now, you could say, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just an expression that as long as I'm breathing, I'm going to be a good person. But can you see a connection between the fact that there's breath and the Spirit of God uh, and not speaking wickedness, not uttering deceit, uh, being having integrity? You know, that's, that's the Spirit of God. That, that's, that's having the Spirit... In you, I don't think it's just an idle expression that he says, as long as I have breath. In other words, as long as I'm a spiritual person, I'm not going to leave these things. I'm not going to speak wickedness no matter what happens to me. Job was going through a rather difficult time in his life. But uh, I'm not going to stop having integrity. Job chapter 32. Let's look at uh, verses 6 to 9. 32, 6 to 9. So Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Boozite. Why not? <laughs> answered and said, I am young in years, and you are very old. Therefore I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. Mm. I said, age should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But? But there is a spirit in man. And the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Wow. Now there's a statement. Like that, that's quite clear, isn't it? That's not talking about just your physical breath. It, 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 the breath of God gives people understanding. And so verse 9. I just Great men are not always wise, <laughs> nor do the aged always understand justice. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, so there is a spirit there's a spirit in human beings, and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. Swedenborg says that your breathing and your ideas go hand in hand. Oh, I think I'm going to write some words on the board. I just, I just can't resist. Um, okay, you have the word spirit, right, which has to do with Breath, there's a connection between spirit and breath. And this S-P-I-R root, you know very well, good friends. So we call breathing respiration, right? With that S-P-I-R root in there, because you're breathing again and again. That, that's respiration. So you're respiring. Uh, it's also related to wonderful words like aspiration, which is something that you'd like to breathe toward, you know, to somewhere that you'd like to go. It's even related in an interesting way to the word conspiracy. That spear means you're breathing together. A conspiracy is done by people who are breathing the same ideas. And they're different ideas than other people are breathing. 
So you breathe your ideas. Right in English, we, we have that, that you breathe your ideas. And I don't know what your observation of yourself is or what it's like to be inside your frame, good friends. Uh, but I find sometimes if someone's speaking, like uh, sometimes when you're hearing ideas, you feel like you can breathe more easily because you are in accord with those ideas. And sometimes uh, something feels like it goes against, like I, I can't breathe, I got to get out of here, I just can't stand it, you know. It's, it's, it's stuffy, or people even say it's, that someone sucked all the oxygen out of the room, or, or this kind of, you know, we actually have those expressions, don't we, uh, for, for different ideas. Or, and also, have you noticed how your breathing changes uh, like addicts? When they do the thing they're addicted to, their, their breathing changes. Uh, and, and how our, our breathing changes in, in different states, you know, uh, when we get excited, when we get bored and we're yawning, uh, as I might be causing you to do now, good friends. <laughs> no, um, the, it, it, there is something about reception and breathing and whether you feel free or not, whether there's oxygen, whether there's fresh ideas and all this kind of stuff. Don't we, even in our common parlance, don't we have things that relate to breathing and ideas? <clears throat> and there's another breathing idea, obviously, is expire. There are other ones. But that same thing, the X and the PIR, uh, have to do with breathing out, expiring. So we know even in our language that expiring, like not breathing, not having spirit, is to be, is to be dead. Uh, I just wanted to do that little riff. Uh, let's go back to these passages. So um, there is a spirit, and the, the breathing of the Almighty gives them understanding. We get ideas from that breathing of the Almighty. Such an amazing idea. Look at uh, 33. Verse 4. What's that? Verse 4. Verses 1, 2, 4. Wonderful. <laughs> but please, Job, hear my speech and listen to all my words. Now I open my mouth. My tongue speaks in my mouth. My words come from my upright heart. Mm. My lips utter pure knowledge. Mm. The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Now, again, you could think of that in a quite a physical way, the Spirit of God and the breath, of, uh, you know, and so on. But didn't he just finish saying that I'm going to tell you, you know, pure knowledge, I'm speaking from uprightness of heart, and that seems to be connected with the idea of breathing there. The Spirit mm. of God made me, and the breath of the Almighty gave me life. Uh, and 34, verses 14 to 15 is an interesting passage here. If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Oh, say that again. All flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Oh, that's Genesis, right? We'd go back. Mm. If we didn't have that spirit and that breath, all flesh would perish and we'd go back to dust. We go back to dust. And th that flood was a situation where, where that was all perishing and going back like that. That's cool. So turn to the right and let's go to Psalm 104. Comes up next. Psalm 104, verses 29 to 30. 
hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. There it is again. Take away the breath, they die and return to dust. Then what? You send forth your spirit, they are created. Oh. And you renew the face of the earth. Isn't that interesting now? Isn't that in kind of the wrong order? Shouldn't you say you send forth your spirit and they're created and then you take away their breath and they die? But I submit that this is talking about something spiritual because the death comes before the spirit and being created, you know? Mm. And so the Lord takes away the breath, they die, they return to their dust, and then you send forth your spirit, they're created, and you renew the face of the earth. In other words, these are just passages that hint that spirit, ironically, and breath have a spiritual meaning. They're, they're self-referential, too. They're about the spirit. Have a look at uh, Psalm 135, another passage about idols. Start at verse 15 and read down to 18. Very interesting passage to me. 135, 15? Yeah. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. Oh, there it is again. Silver, is there nothing else you can make an idol out of? Didn't they make idols out of anything else? Silver and gold, I say this because I think silver and gold are, are meaningful, you know, gold has to do with love, silver has to do with truth, or a twisted version of them. Mm -hmm. Why is it always silver and gold and not other things? Idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. Yes, right. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Mm. Eyes they have, but they do not see. Okay. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. There you go. And verse 18 makes a very striking statement. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> right? So he's just set up this thing about idols, and you're going along, yeah, well, I know that. Yeah, I know that. And you, so are you. You know, it says, uh, those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. Pleading with us to try to tell what is really alive, teaching that's really alive, as opposed to teaching that was just man-made, you know? the work of men's hands, something that you fabricated out of your own lower self, uh, some construct that's not really alive. And there's no breath at all in their mouth. What human beings just fabricate out of their own lower selves has no spiritual life from the Lord in it. It's not multi-layered. It doesn't have this quality of life from God in it. Good, good. Let's turn to the right to Isaiah. You'll go through Proverbs and things like that. Get to Isaiah. I want to go to 42. Verse 5. Thus says God the Lord, <clears throat> who created the heavens and stretched them out. Hmm, that was in Genesis, right? Okay. Who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Don't you like that? I like that passage. Because it makes breath and spirit absolutely parallel, right? There they are side by side. God the Lord, He created the heavens and stretched them out. He spread forth the earth and what comes out of it. He gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Breath and spirit are the same thing that comes from the Lord. In other words, that breath that we're thinking about tonight is something spiritual. That's spiritual life that comes from the Lord. Uh, let's turn to the right to Jeremiah. Comes up next and go to Jeremiah chapter 10. 
let's do verses 14 to 16. Again, about idols. Everyone is dull-hearted, without knowledge. I kind of like the old King James. Brutish is fun, isn't it? <laughs> Every man is brutish in his knowledge. Go on. Mm -hmm. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, hmm. for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. Look at that. It actually uses the word falsehood, just like that other passage said, mm -hmm. a teacher of lies. Mm -hmm. you, know, you see what I mean? So you can start to see, oh, maybe it really is talking about uh, these concepts, about the word and so on. That it's falsehood and there's no breath in them. Go on. They are futile, a work of errors. A work of errors. Isn't that interesting? In the mm. time of their punishment, they shall perish. Mm. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Wow, so that's a little bit like that passage before we were reading, that there's no breath in them, and then the Lord is in his holy temple. You know, this contrast, mm. right, between the idols and the Lord. All right, good. Let's go to the right to Ezekiel chapter 2. Um, let's just read the first couple of verses. Uh, there's kind of a theme that comes up in Scripture, and we'll just use, read a few such passages, but where the Spirit stands people on their feet. Spirit standing you on your feet. And Swedenborg says what this means is that it's a point at which spiritual life takes over in you and once you have that spiritual life then your natural life improves then your then your earthly life gets better because it puts you on your on your feet like you, you start to move you're living from a spiritual place instead mm -hmm. look at uh, verses 1 and 2 in Ezekiel chapter 2 there and he said to me son of man stand on your feet and I will speak to you then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet and I heard him who spoke to me. Yeah, so the command is that he's supposed to stand up. But does he stand up on his own? The, the Spirit enters him and sets him up on his feet. And I, I've thought of that in connection with the Spirit and the breath and the fact that there's something spiritual that brings him back to life and stands him up like that. Uh, let's look at Ezekiel 3. Very next chapter, verses 23 and 24. Basically the same thing, right? So I arose and went out into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory which I saw by the river Kibar, and I fell on my face. Then the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet and spoke with me and said to me, Go shut yourself inside your house. That's right. So again, Ezekiel reports that the Spirit entered him and set him on his feet, which is about something spiritual coming into us mm -hmm. and... Uh, then we're able to deploy that in our natural lives. Uh, Ezekiel 37 is the next thing I want to read. And let's read uh, 14 verses here because this is that great, great story of the dry bones. Very familiar story, but you'll see towards the end of it that the dry bones are said to be the whole house of Israel. In other words, the dry bones are hundreds of thousands of people who are completely alive and breathing, you know. Mm -hmm. And so what can the breath mean that comes up in this story when they have no breath? What, what is no mm -hmm. breath if you have a whole bunch of people who are physically breathing? 
What does that mean? So let's read this story. Let's start right at the first verse of Ezekiel 37 there. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. Very dry. Mm. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? These bones are dead, right? They're dry. They're dead bones. Mm -hmm. So I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Mm. So the word of the Lord is this sort of living force, right? The word of the Lord is coming forth and he's prophesying directly to these dead bones. Okay. Mm. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you mm. and you shall live. Oh, okay. I will I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you. Which you already did in the previous verse, but that's very nice. And you shall live. Isn't that interesting? So it says, I'll cause breath. So when he's first talking to the bones, he just says, I'll cause breath to enter you and you'll live. And then he says, well, let me explain. I'll put flesh on you, you know, cover you with skin. Then I'll put breath on you and then you'll live. Go on. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. It's just one of the most magnificent stories, isn't it? It's just so excellent. How could you not have songs written about this and so on? It's great. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over. But, but. There, were, but there was no breath in them. There's no breath in them. So, so a lot has happened. Flesh came, skin came, but there was still no breath, even though, no, even though the Lord said, I'm going to put breath in you, but there was no breath yet. Okay, go on. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Mm. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, mm. and breathe on these slain that they may live. Now that's weird. They're slain. They're, they're dry bones. They're, they're dead people. And he says, and he's prophesying to the breath. In the old King James is to the wind. He says to the wind, come, O breath. So wind equals breath equals spirit and so on. And breathe upon these slain that they may live. So, what does Ezekiel do? So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived. And, and what do they do when they lived? And stood upon their feet. They stood upon their feet. That's what you do when the Spirit comes into you. They stood upon their feet. That's right. An exceedingly great army. Mm. And then he explains helpfully. <laughs> then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They're the whole house of Israel. Now, wait a minute. I thought you said they were all slain. They're all dead and they had no sinews. They had, they had physical flesh. They had physical breath. And yet in the story, there's something that is called breath or wind or spirit that, ha that they're lacking. They're lacking something spiritual. Go on. These bones are the whole house of Israel. They, they indeed say, our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. Our and, hope. Hmm. And we ourselves are cut off. Hmm. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Mm. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. And what is he going to do? I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. So this whole story is a story about how the bones have to come together, get flesh on them, but then the main thing you need is that spirit. If you don't have it, you're not alive. Spirit equals breath equals life equals spiritual. Without something spiritual, you can be physically alive. You can have all the flesh and the breathing and all that stuff. But as far as what the Lord is saying to the prophet here, there's no life in it. It's like dry bones all over the valley. They say they don't have any hope. You know, they're cut off and so forth. And so he prophesies to the children of Israel in exactly the way that he just prophesied to these dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. It's kind of a pointless exercise if they're physical bones. But in the spiritual meaning of it, uh, then, then you see the life in the story. Then when the Spirit comes into the story, you hear the pieces of the, of the story rattling and coming together. You know, the truths in the story come together, they get flesh on them, and then they get the Spirit in them. Then they're alive. That's a living word when it's spiritual. A, just a word that is taken absolutely literally has no, you know, here's another word that I need to add on the board, inspired. It fascinates me that people talk about Scripture as being inspired. It's inspired by God. And yet a lot of the same people who say that will say there's nothing spiritual in it. It means what it says, it says what it means, there's, there's nothing deeper in it. And yet they claim that it's inspired and yet what, it, what would make the Scripture inspired is that it has a spiritual layer within it, that it has spiritual meaning, that it's living, it's alive, it has something from God in it. It's very interesting to wonder, what does inspired by God mean? I, I think Swedenborg has a real answer to this. The inspiration in Scripture is not that God spoke to somebody so it came from God, whatever thing he was saying and however unintelligible it was, it, came from God, so that's why it's inspired. I don't know. Uh, it's a much better answer to say, no, it's inspired because it has breath in it. It has the living breath of the Almighty God is in there because it's spiritual and it has layers within it. Even in that story, you see the sense of layers and the Spirit bringing the pieces of the, of the outside of the text together and bringing it back to life. Uh, that's what inspired is. Uh, a non-inspired reading would be an atheistic reading that says there's no spirit in it, or a literalist reading which says there's no spirit within it. I know it's an extreme position, but I paid for the mic. Okay, let's go to Daniel uh, chapter 10 and look at verses 15 to 19. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. Mm. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, mm. saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. 
and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Mm. So a number of these calls of the prophet involve the prophet falling down and having no breath. And then the spirit of God comes and stands them on their feet and so on. Uh, go on, next couple of verses. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. Mm. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. All right. And now see if you can find Habakkuk again. It might be better to go to Matthew and back up. It's the seventh one in here, the Minor Prophets. I just want to read that same passage again. I love um, the way the context of Scripture can just bring these things out so they sort of pop. Um, let's look at that Habakkuk 2 that we started with here, and then we just have a couple of other Scriptures to go. Okay, sorry, Habakkuk. That's all right. It's right before Zephaniah. Oh, yes. After Nahum. Chapter 2, verse 18. What prophet is the image that its maker should carve it. The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Yeah, I think it's trusting in teaching. Teaching that originated from yourself. You made the teaching and then you kind of convinced yourself and you think, oh no, that's good. I think that's living, that's good. Woe to him who says to wood, awake, to silent stone, Arise, it shall teach. The reason he mentions wood and stone is the same reason silver and gold, that wood has to do with something that comes from evil and stone has to do with something that comes from falsity, from bad teaching. And, you know, say to the wood, awake, and to the stone, arise, teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. Mm. Yes, it has gold and silver on the outside. It looks... looks plausible or maybe like it's about love and truth or something but there's actually no breath in it it is not living but verse 20 but verse 20 but the lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silence before him yes let's go to luke in the new testament just got a few passages in the new testament that i wanted to look at in this connection many come to mind but uh, luke 23 Verse 46 is the moment that Jesus dies on the cross. And how does that go exactly? 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. My spirit. Mm -hmm. Having said this, he breathed his last. Yeah, spirit still equals breath. Breath and spirit, right? And he commends his spirit. Into the, into the Father's hands. Uh, let's go to John 6. That's where the whole title of this Bible study comes from. Um, he's been saying strange things about people having to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And for some reason, they're upset about this. Uh, look at what they say in verse 60 there in John 6. Verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? 
When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, <laughs> he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? And then listen to this. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit who gives life. You see, it's the Spirit. He's just been talking to them about uh, his, his flesh being food and his blood being drink. And they got all upset about this. And then he says, it's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And then he explains the words that can give us the title of our Bible study here. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Yes. How could you possibly think that Jesus' words were not spiritual in the face of that statement? And to think that somehow some theory of biblical literalism, which was born in Princeton in 1906, like Christianity survived very well, thank you very much, for 1800, 1900 years without that theory in there. That's, it, it, are we now saying that Jesus' words are flesh and they're death? You know, that there's nothing more to them when Jesus told us directly, my words are spirit and they are life. Uh, they're something that wants to bring us to life. He's, it's not about idolatry. It's not about just flat as a pancake on the outside. It's about the spirit. The flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that brings life. Look at John chapter 20. A crucial moment in the history of Christianity. Cr absolutely crucial. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 22. This is when Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was resurrected. And what did he do? When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So that breath is very, very important. And it's of the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual. This, it's that life. It's that living thing that the Lord breathes in and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's turn to the right into the Acts. Let's go to chapter 17. I just got three more passages. Go. 17. Uh, I want to read from 22 on down for a while there. This is, uh, he, Paul is in Athens, and he's at the tomb of the unknown God. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Mm. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Mm. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing... Him, I proclaim to you. It's just brilliant. You know, you think about yourself doing, doing evangelization work. You're there in another country. Nobody knows what you're talking about. But you see this tomb to an unknown God. So that's my God. That's who I'm t telling you about. That's him. You've already got an altar to him. I'm not bringing in something new. You know, this is something you've already got there. This is the unknown God. And then he explains. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth. Nice little phrase there does not dwell in temples made with hands. Mm, the Lord is in his holy temple. Mm. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He's not worshipped with men's hands. All these idols are made by men's hands, right? They're human constructs. Uh, they have no breath in them. They're, they're something that somebody just cobbled together, but it didn't have the breath and the life in it. Mm. 
Mm, go on. Uh, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Yes, that's what the Lord gives. He gives everything, life, breath, and all things. Okay, go on. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Oh, how is he not far from us? For in him we live and move and have our being. A phrase that's a favorite of Swedenborg's. In him we live and move and have our being. Apparently a quote from an ancient poet. As also some of your own poets have said, quote, for we are also his offspring. And so he's quoting their poetry. He's using their, you know, their, their altar and so on to make his case. And then I can't resist reading the next two verses. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold. Oh, or gold. Yes. Or, or silver. Or silver. Or stone. Or stone. Something shaped by art and man's devising. Oh. huh. Isn't that interesting? Just up above, you had something about life and breath. And right down below here, you have something about idolatry and these idols. And it says again, gold. It says silver. It says stone. Something that people put together. And then what does it say in verse 30? Drum roll, please. <laughs> Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Yes. My favorite biblical word. Yes. And so isn't it interesting that there's something about repentance that's linked in with this in some way? Uh, we're the offspring of God. In Him we live and move and have our being. We're alive because the Lord is alive and we have this spirit in us. And Scripture has this spirit in it that tells us how to live. And, the, and one of Scripture's main message is to repent. So... The Lord was fine with the fact that, okay, the tomb of the unknown God, you, did, you didn't know who he was or whatever. But now he's commanding everyone everywhere to repent. That's really crucial for how we come to have this spiritual life within us. Okay, two more scriptures. Turn to the right and go through Romans, and you'll get to Corinthians. I want 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Very important passage. And uh, we've resorted to it many times over the course of these years of the Bible study. Uh, let's start at verse 3 in 2 Corinthians 3. We won't read the whole thing, although it's absolutely fantastic, but we'll just read a few verses here. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ. Oh, I am? I'm a letter? Hmm. I'm a text? Okay, go on. <laughs> Ministered by us. Written not with ink. Oh, I see. I, I'm not literally, like, I'm not literally written on or something. Okay. But how am I written? But by the Spirit of the living God. Oh. Not on tablets of stone, mm. but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Of the heart. Hmm. The Spirit of the living God wrote us as texts. Okay, go on. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Hmm. And, not, next verse. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Of ourselves. To think of anything as being from ourselves. Yes, in the old King James. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. As Does that sound ourselves. familiar? As of self. Mm. 
Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but... But our sufficiency is from God. See, that's that spirit. When those prophets bow down, they lose their own life. Then the spiritual comes in and stands them back up on their feet of their natural life, but in, on a new spiritual basis. Yes, so this is not from our own sufficiency. Our own sufficiency builds idols. We'll make silver and gold, but there's no breath in it because we, we can't do that. We don't control breath. The Lord has to do that. It says, say, son of man, prophesy and, and put that breath in there. Go on. From God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, mm. not of the letter, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Oh, but of the spirit. Oh, so you mean there's a letter and there's a spirit in scripture? It's not, just, uh, it's not just that we have our flesh and we have our spirit, but Scripture has a flesh that's called the letter, and it has a spirit that's called, as luck would have it, the spirit. <laughs> Tell me about those two. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Wow, that's really amazing. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And the Lord says, my words are spirit and they are life. And the final reading I want to do tonight, if you turn to the right to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation 11. I know I get intense, but I just feel like there are so few voices on one side of the issue. And there's thousands. There are broadcasting channels. There's thousands of voices saying to read it a different way. And so I just feel like I have to raise my volume every now and then because how many of these shows are there? Okay, let's look in chapter 11, and I want to read uh, this whole, this doesn't mean bankruptcy in this case. Uh, let's read the first uh, <laughs> that's 13 verses of chapter 11. First 13 verses. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. Mm, okay. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Mm. And I will give power to my two witnesses. Two witnesses. People wonder, well, who are these two witnesses? Or two witnesses, okay. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Which just happens to be a time, <laughs> times, and half a time. Go on. Mm. There are the two, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Mm. Okay, well, that's helpful. The witnesses are olive trees and lampstands, okay? And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Yes, and let's, it, it talks about, uh, let's skip down to verse 7 there. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Oh, so they're going to be killed. These two witnesses, they're testifying and prophesying. Uh, but when they finish, this beast will come out of the pit and kill them. Okay? And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom. And oh, look Egypt. at that word spiritually. Isn't that interesting? There's the word spiritually sitting right there. Interesting. So there's a great city which spiritually is called Sodom and, and Egypt, Egypt, two place names that come up now and then in Scripture. Where, where also what? Our Lord was crucified. Oh, wow. Whoa. 
Weird. So that's Jerusalem, isn't it? So Sodom and Egypt and Jerusalem are all linked spiritually. Interesting idea. And their dead bodies will be there. Okay. And how do people react to them being dead? Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days. Oh, three and a half. Time, times, and half a time. Okay. And not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. Uh-huh. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. Yes, it's just make, wonderful. Make merry and mm. send gifts to one another. Send gifts to each other. That's right. <laughs> because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Yes, these two prophets. So they're, now they're called prophets. They're witnesses, prophets, and they've been tormenting everybody. And then what happens after three and a half days? Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. Yes, in the, in the Old King James, the spirit of life from God entered into them. It's the same thing. The spirit and the bath is the same thing. So the spirit of life from God entered into them. And they stood on their feet. Oh, they stood on their feet. That's what you do when the spirit comes into you. Okay, good. They stood on their feet. Okay. And great fear fell on those who saw them. Uh-oh. I wonder if they wondered whether they could return their gifts. Like exchange them or something, you know, I mean, you know. Okay, go on. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud. In a cloud. In a cloud. They ascended to heaven. Doesn't it say that Jesus is going to come again in the clouds with power and great glory? These two witnesses go up to heaven in a cloud. After the Spirit of God enters them. Okay, go on. And their enemies saw them. Uh huh. In the same hour. Every eye shall see them, even those who pierced them and all that. Go on. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. Okay, that's a good outcome. So, some people at least. The rest, in the Old King James, the remnant, which is another mm. very resonant sort of phrase. Uh, gave glory to the God of heaven. Point here being that they, they were very alive, then they died, spirit came into them, put them on their feet, they rose up into a cloud and were more powerful than ever. And as a result, some people, some people fell at that point and others gave glory to God. So that concludes our different scriptural readings tonight. And I don't have long to tell you thoughts, good friends, I've given you some along the way, uh, but this causes me to ponder whether biblical literalism is an idol. I'm not saying that people who espouse this are evil or bad or, or whatever, going to hell or whatever, but is that an idol that has no breath in it? Isn't that, isn't that by definition an uninspired view of Scripture? There is no spirit in it. There is no breath of God inside the pages of Scripture. And reading that way, aren't you in danger that the letter kills because it's the Spirit that gives life? A characteristic of Christianity version 2.0, which, as you know, I think is from 250 years past to 250 years hence or whenever, is unfolding, is going to be that the Word, these two witnesses are a picture of the Word, of the essence of the Word, about Jesus being the one God of heaven and earth and the life according to the Ten Commandments. That's what the two witnesses mean. And aren't they going to have, aren't they going to be seen to be spiritual and to be lifted up into the cloud? When Jesus himself comes in the clouds, that's a picture of the clouds are the literal sense of Scripture 
and his being seen with power and great glory is that that spiritual life that's within the word is going to show us that there's a living God inside this text. And we get to see that as we go through repentance. When that happens, then that last verse of Habakkuk is fulfilled that the Lord, is, the Lord himself is in his holy temple and all the earth, all the church, all the lower self, that lower self that was constructing idols of silver and gold and stone and wood and saying to them, arise, teach. Uh, that is finally silent. What a beautiful, merciful teaching that the day will come when that is silent. And when I think about breathing, I just think about the fact that I, I'd like to just leave you with the thought that as we breathe, don't, don't some people say, oh, oh, he or she is, is puffed up. Isn't that, about your, isn't that about your breath? Isn't that something about the spiritual meaning of breath, that the way that we think, the way that we think of ourselves or something can puff some people up? Um, isn't it a matter of, uh, isn't our freedom connected in some way with our breathing? Uh, that when you're in a situation where you feel like you're forced, you feel like you can't breathe or like someone's sitting on your chest or, or, or something because you're not free. Even in our everyday language, we have expressions like this, that, that uh, breathing has to do with our thoughts, our ideas, and it's actually possible. The, the beautiful message in this uh, Bible study tonight to me is that it's possible for us to have the Spirit of God in some sense in our minds. We can actually breathe with the angels when we think the way that they think. We breathe the way that they, they breathe. We can breathe with them. Uh, it's not a conspiracy, but it's a sharing of the breath together that we can have with those angels. Uh, the Lord wants to give us that life. His words are spirit and they are life. And the whole word, as I hope to have demonstrated tonight and in all our other Bible studies, has this living spirit within it. It's about life, and it aims to give us life. The Bible is the living word of God because it has a living spirit, a spiritual life within it. And to say that it has no depth of meaning is like saying it's a body with no spirit, like saying that the word has no breath at all. Thank you, friends. Let's close with a prayer. We thank you, Lord, for the life that you put in our minds, that life of breathing in new ideas, breathing out old ones, and that living quality. It's amazing. Sometimes we can't fathom the idea that your word is living, that you are your word. You are the word made flesh. You lived and breathed in this world. You gave up your spirit, and now you're more alive than ever at that spiritual level and coming back in the pages of the word with power and great glory for this and so many other things, Lord. We thank you. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. Change that breathing to something good, something heavenly.